Well, how is everybody doing this morning? <laughs> Welcome to all you that are joining us via online today as well. We invite you just to come right in with us. Open up your Bibles. Follow right along. We're going to have a great time in God. Amen? Yes. Well, you... I'm going to have a good time. You, you're welcome to join me with it. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your wisdom. As we were singing this morning, be thou our wisdom. Your word says to ask for wisdom, and you give liberally to all. You don't hold back. So, Father, we thank you that we have wisdom, exactly what we need to know. And that as we open your word today, that you pull me down rabbit trails. Whatever the people need to hear from you, God, I thank you. You draw us in that direction because we place a demand on you. We came to hear from you. We don't want to just talk. We want to hear from you, God. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been a little off track the last few weeks, and so we're going to get back on to where we were going. Three weeks ago, we did part number four on the nature and the character of God. And so we're going to continue on in that for our summer series. And so there's probably some things that we probably need to remind ourselves of because three weeks is a long time when you're busy, right? Right? Come on. Come on. Get, get, I, I, I like feedback. This is a participatory sport. You know, a lot of people think that preaching is just a monologue. No, it's you pulling on the gift of God on the inside of you. You having an expectation that, yeah, God's got something to say to me. This is not a listening thing. This is a participating thing. I, I, I love what uh, Mark Hankin said. He's like, you don't know why people don't get a lot of things out of message? Because they're doing this. That's mental assent. You want to agree with God, say amen. Yes, so be it in my life. Yes, that's how it will be. I remember Jessica and I were having a conversation about probably about six months ago, eight months ago. She's like, sometimes I feel like I'm so loud when you're preaching. I'm like, yes, that's good. You know, you don't have to worry about being too loud. If you get out of line, I'll put you back in line. I'll just preach a little bit louder. We should be excited about the things of God. And we're talking about God. We're talking about the nature and the character of God. And so something we needed to be reminded of, of what we've already covered in this, is God is meant to be seen and experienced, not just talked about. And so the last two weeks, God's just been showing up, and we've had to go off plan, and that's fine. It's his plan. We get to follow him, and if it doesn't line up with what he's doing, drop your plan. Come on. Drop your plan. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27 in the message, he says, the Father has given me all these things to do and to say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. And no one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Come on, I, when he says anyone willing to listen, that means that there's going to be people that will be unwilling, and that's their loss. But I won't find myself in the camp of the unwilling. I'm going to be willing, and I'm going to be obedient, and therefore, as the Bible says, I'll eat the good of the land. Come on, that's what the book of Isaiah says. If you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. And that's why we're not just listening, because listening involves sitting, stationary. But participating 
means we take what's said, what God has stirred in our hearts, and we put it into application so that we can walk it out. And so he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? You know, I think I can fit myself into the tired category. I woke up about 3.30 this morning and wasn't able to get back to bed. And so by the time we got here for practice, I was like, I was having to shake myself. Thank God for coffee, but thank God for the Holy Spirit. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. He wouldn't say that if watching him wasn't a possibility. Right? He doesn't give you an assignment that you don't have the ability to walk out. He equips you for where he calls you. It's just like uh, Jesus, he, he, uh, he said that I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear him say, which means he was having an active back and forth between him and God. Oh, come on. Don't get that quiet on me. Because sometimes when we hear that, we're like, oh, that's kind of big. No, you can hear God. He can talk to you in ways that only you'll understand. And sometimes when we hear these, these big, like, oh, I had this vision and I saw all that, it's kind of intimidating. No, that may be the way that God's talking to them, but he knows how to talk to you so that you can see and hear and understand and walk it out. So he says, watch how I do it, which means he's able to be seen and able to be understood. He said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be hard times or difficult things, but you can do difficult things freely and lightly. You know, I've been spending a lot of time with Bennett. He's been playing competitive baseball this year, this year, and we go out and every day we throw hard, we hit hard, we do it, and sometimes he gets mad at me. He's like, I don't want to do this today. It's hot out here. And I said, I said, if we practice hard, the game will be fun. When you learn to hear the voice of God and take the time that you need to keep yourself centered in God, living out life is freely and lightly. You just go from grace to grace. Isn't it we said? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The things of God are easy. It's not hard. And if it's feeling hard, we need to get out of our own strength and be like, God, I'm just going to take a moment. I'll wait here on you. I'm going to stop trying to make it happen, and I'm just going to let it happen while I listen for your voice. And you can be like, well, what does God's voice sound like? Well, when you quiet yourself, it's like all of a sudden, like, well, why am I now thinking about this over here? He's directing your thoughts. And sometimes you just have these knowings where it's like, I feel like I need to go do this. And you're like, well, that doesn't fit in my day. Well, go do it anyways. As we already said, if it, here, your, your plan and his plans don't li line up, get rid of yours. Because the world is looking at how to, how to get li have live a free and light life. And it's only found in God. 
Come on. So God is meant to be seen and experienced and not just talked about. And whenever we talk about the things of God, we have to understand that the fullness of God is revealed in Jesus. If you want to see the accurate picture of what God is, look at what Jesus said, look at what Jesus did, and that will give you what you need to know. Okay, where we left off three weeks ago is we were looking at Exodus chapter 3. We were looking at the story of Moses where God is revealing himself to Moses and introducing himself to him. And so Moses comes across this burning bush in the middle of the desert, and he says to himself, hmm, I should turn, around, turn aside and look at this bush that's burning. Why isn't it consumed? He didn't turn away around and say, ooh, there's a bush there. It's on fire. It must be God. And sometimes we find God in the most unusual places when we turn aside and we stop. And it says when God saw that Moses turned aside, then God called to him. Come on. When God saw that Moses turned aside, yes. then he called to him. And he says to Moses, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm coming to deliver them. I won't leave them another moment in bondage. And guess what, Moses? I'm going to use you. And so as we get through that story, we find here in verse 13, Moses says to God, Indeed, when I've come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? What do I tell them? And this is a legit question because Moses grew up in a society that had, was very polytheistic. There was gods everywhere. You know, we had Anubis, we had Ra, we had all the different Egyptian gods. And so he's saying, it's like, okay, which God is talking to me and who do I tell them? And so Moses is not having this experience with God because he's some holy very God-focused person. He's like, who are you? And so if God can use Moses, use you. And God says to him, I am who I am. And as we pointed out, that's not a name. It's Hayah, Asher Hayah, the existent one who exists. He says, that's who it is. You don't need to know my name. You just need to know that I'm here and I'm on your behalf. I'm sending you in my power and in my name and what I say go because I am the one who exists. And what he's saying by implication is all those other names that you were looking for, you don't need to be concerned about them. They don't exist. And we told you the story about the Ark of the Covenant in Dagon where the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and they put him in the temple of Dagon beside the, and they, they came in in the morning and God had just been like, Push the statue over. It's like, I don't share space with him. And so they put him back up, and they had another night, and he came in the next day, and they pushed him a little harder and broke the head right off and broke the arms right off because he's making a statement. They don't exist. I do. And so when he asked for a name, God says, you don't even need the name. You just know, need to know that I am. And that was enough. And he said, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. To all generations, which means you. This is my memorial to you, that I exist. I am who I am. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't change. And as I was with them, I will be with you. As I delivered in the past, I deliver today. As I am great, I'm still great today. As I was worthy of praise then, I'm worthy of praise now. I was worthy of attention then, I'm worthy of attention now. This is my name forever. I am who I am, who I am, who I am. I exist and I will forever exist. 
Other things will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word from God will pass away because he can't pass away. This is my name forever to all generations. And if everything is packaged up in Jesus, that's why they can say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he's one with the existent one. He said the Father and I are one. And get this, you and the Father are now one. Which means you've stepped out of mortality into immortality. And as he exists forever, so do you now. And that demands a shift of our thinking. We are so naturally minded and time limited. When you have to think in the scope of eternity, what's the moment now? If God has provided immortality for you to exist and to fellowship with him forever, how much will he not provide for you right now in this moment? When he saw a lot bigger than just right now. He saw the end from the beginning. So that's where we were. <laughs> you can turn over to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to take off with this story this morning. Genesis chapter 22. And here we have a story of Abraham, who, like Moses, had God introduce himself to him. We have to understand that Abraham's story starts with him being a moon worshiper. He was from the city of Ur. They were moon worshipers. Do you know why God said to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky? Because when they were talking, Moses was outside observing the moon. Because they were moon worshippers. And so he can take people from odd backgrounds and turn them into champions. And so here we find in Genesis chapter 22, this is many, many years after that. We've had a progress in, the, in this story where God said, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham said, I don't even have any kids. A guy who's not even in my house is, my descendant, is going to be my heir. And God said, no, he won't. I'm going to give you a kid. And it's been like 35, 36 years at this point where now he has the son of promise, the son Isaac. And here we are in verse 1. You can follow along. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So God is knowable, understandable, seeable, hearable. He says, Abraham, and Abraham says, Right here, God. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And so we might as well go ahead and get this out of the moment. Seriously, God? <laughs> Come on, this, this story gets so twisted out of context, and people are like, how could a good and loving God ask this man to kill his son? There's a different type of relationship that Abraham and God had. And just because he said one thing, Abraham knew there was more to the story. How do we know that? Because the next verse says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. There is no argument. He didn't say, Come now, God. You want me to do what? Come on. But Abraham and other times, whenever God said something, he had no problem standing up and saying, <laughs> no, he's, uh, how am I going to have kids? I'm old. Come on. Sarah, when he, she heard it, she laughed. When God was going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said, no, God, please don't. If there's this many in there, will you not do it? 
Abraham no, had no problem talking back to God. But you notice in this story, he didn't even say, boo, he just did it. Because there was more to the story. And he understood some things that we're going to see here. He says, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Why did Abraham not say anything? Because he already knows the end of this. God, you said you would give me a son, and my descendants would become as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. So if we go up the mountain and I have to kill him, you're going to raise him up. There's no situation in Moses' mind where he's thinking, I'm or Abraham, sorry, that he's coming down this mountain without Isaac. Why? Because the promise has not been fulfilled. Isaac's only 12 or 13. He doesn't have kids now. And so if Isaac doesn't come down the mountain, the process starts again, and Abraham's even older this time. And I think in the back of Abraham's mind, he's like, we are not doing this again. I was old last time. I'm really old this time. I'm not starting over. God, I'm telling you right now, we'll go up the mountain, but we're both coming back down. Woo, come on. That's, that's boldness before God. That's, that's a relationship there before God. He said, we're coming back. He told them. Why? Because we know some things about how Abraham believed, don't we? In Romans 4, it said he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And we often relate Romans 4 to the receiving of the child. But what you use to receive the promise, you use to live in the promise. Come on. How many times have we received good things from God and then we hit a bump in the road and we're like, oh, it's all going to crap again, God. No, the faith that got you there the first place will carry you through. And don't let your blessings turn into burdens along the way. Because that's what the enemy wants. He wants to discourage you. He wants to shift your focus. And he wants you to let go of the promise because he knows God won't let go of the promise. And so if there's two in the relationship, you and God... He's got one that he can manipulate and one that he can't. Don't be moved. And so it says he didn't waver at the promise of God. Through unbelief, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. God, you're able to give me the son, and you're also able to keep me the son. And that the promise will come pass. You got to think of how uh, the time frame of this journey. We're not even talking about Abraham's life. The promise has to endure through Isaac's life, right? Isaac can't die. Isaac's kids can't die. Isaac's kids' kids can't die. In a time where mortality was being challenged on a daily basis, it was a struggle to survive. God's promise 
had to endure generation after generation after generation. And the enemy is still trying to take out those generations that have come from that. Come on, look at history. How many times has the enemy tried to stamp out the Jews? Well, God's like, I'll do one better. I'll take it beyond that. All those who believe are also the seed of Abraham. He'd have to kill a billion plus people today. And he's willing to try, but he ain't got the power. So he was convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And the thing is, in Hebrews chapter 11, we get a glimpse into Abraham's specific mindset of Genesis 22. And it says, by faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, because he had concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. He concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Is God able to raise your situation up even from the dead? Is he able to turn things around even from the dead? Is he able to make a way where there is no way in your life right now, today, in this moment? Is he able to change things? Abraham concluded God could. And then the last sentence is a little bit of an interesting one, though. It says, from which he also received him as a figurative sense. And this tells us what's actually going on in this story. That word figurative, which I have highlighted there for you, is the Greek word parabole. And do you know what word we get from that one? Parable. And the word parabole means bringing two things alongside to compare them. Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Because if Abraham was willing to give up his only son, the story says the son in whom he loved, if Abraham was willing to, how much more God willing to give his only son, his only begotten son? And if Abraham could believe that God could raise him up from the dead, how much more would God be willing to raise up his own son from the dead? And when he was raising him up, it says he also raised you up from death of life. Come on. And so something more was going on in the story, and Abraham knew God enough to say, yeah, I'm going to just let this play out a bit more. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, uh, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac is starting to size things up here. It's like, we got, we got everything we need except one thing. And there's two going up the mountain. <laughs> we forgot something, God. Sorry, Dad. And Abraham says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. God will provide for himself the lamb. Because that was what was needed. He needed, in the, in the sc scope of humanity, he needed the spotless lamb that was Jesus Christ. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. If he could provide for himself a lamb, Abraham was willing to believe 
God will provide. Interesting thing, though, though, this word for provide. It's the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to cause to see. And I know you're looking at me a little blank, like, what does that have to do with anything? We're going to see in just a moment. And so they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and, and laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am, I've been waiting on you, God. I was like, how far do I have to go through with this? Do you actually want me to kill him so you can raise it up, or are you just going to end this right here? And so he's like, I'm ready to do it. I'm going through. And if we look at the imagery of the language, it's like the, almost like the angel had to restrain Abraham's eyes, arm because it was like, he, God said something. There's nothing stopping me from doing it. Come on, when God speaks to your heart or when you see it in the Word, don't let anything stop you from doing it. Run, run hard, go all the way. And if God has to stop you, stop you. Go until you get the red light. You know, like what Brother Hagin used to say. He said, you know, you can go by just as much what God doesn't say as what he does. Everybody's saying, God, what to do, what to do, what to do, what do I do, what do we do, what do we do? Do something. If it's the wrong direction, he'll stop you. He'll be like, no, that's not the right way. Because he gives you more choice than we give him credit for. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. Verse 13, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. What was provision? Ra'ah, to cause to see. He lifted his eyes and he looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. How did provision come for Abraham in this story? God, he was obedient to God. God caused him to see something and then he went and he did it. And there's a very important reason why I'm emphasizing this today. He saw something, he understood something, and then he went and he did it. That is provision. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And today we need to take a moment and look at the character of God. It's one of the most important ones we could see, and that is God is a provider. Yes. The word that's used here is the word Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so when last week, or three weeks ago, when it says, what is your name? God could have given him lots. But here is what Abraham had to say about the revealed character of God. He is a God who provides. 
And we need to be strong in this message, in this season, because I'm seeing more and more every day Christians losing hope. They're complaining on the Internet like crazy. Oh, there's a big recession coming. Oh, all the food sources are drying up. Come on, have you forgotten you serve a God who provides? It doesn't matter what comes your way. You will stand, and you will be okay if you'll put your eyes on God and do what he says. Come on, we don't need to be afraid of what comes. We already know the end of the book, right? We already have stories in the Bible that we can cling to. In the midst of a famine, God always provided for his people. And if this world sees famine, that's not going to affect you if you'll look at God and obey what he says. And so when we talk about Jehovah Jireh, he's the God who provides Come on, the, the saddest thing about this message is so many people have relegated that down to say money. Money, 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 money. Provision is a lot more than money. There's times where what you need is not money, but a new way of looking. Yes. Come on, there's situations where you're in is not what you need is money, it's healing. Yes. Come on. Yes. Opportunity. Yes. Money is just the byproduct of being in the place doing what God told you to do. Come on, if we look how God provided for his people, he always said, do this, and then the money came later. And we have to put this emphasis on because there's such a group of Christians these days that are sitting like, God bless me, give me lots and lots of lots of money, and they haven't done anything in years. You're believing God for money, but you're stationary. Maybe money's not what you need. Sometimes a swift kick in the butt's what you need. Get moving, get doing, God always provides for the doers. We're not hearers only, but doers of the word. So get out in motion. Can't steer a parked boat. When it's tied to the dock, it's going nowhere. It's moving no goods. There's no production. And so when we're talking about provision, he's Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. Look to him, and you'll see what it is you actually need. God will provide. And then Abraham looked, and he saw, and he did something about it. He didn't say, oh, God, there's the ram. Are you going to bring it over and put it on here for me, God? God, here, here, here's the knife, God. Kill it for me. Come on. That's how Christians think. If God wants me blessed, he'll just make it happen. No, you work together. Provision is so much more than money. And the, at the root of this, this is the first redemptive name of God that we're going to cover in this series, and it's Jehovah Jireh. And they're all based off that word Jehovah. Do you know what Jehovah means? The existing one. The existing one provides. That's why we had to look at Moses first. I am that I am. I exist, and therefore, because I exist, I will provide Come on, when mom and dad are around, they always make sure the kids are taken care of. When dad God is around, he makes sure the kids are taken care of. And all of this is always wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And so if we look at how this plays out in the ministry of Jesus, we see something interesting. Depending on how you measure them, there is between 35 
and 40 miracles. I land on about 36, because some of them are just duplicates of where we see them in one book, and they're told a little bit differently in another. But if we look across those, say, 36, we could say, well, you know, there's like six or seven that are specifically provisioned. No, all of them are provisioned. If you're blind, what do you need? He provided sight. For one of the guys, we can infer that he had no eyeballs in his sockets. Why? Because he took mud and he shoved it in the eyes to build what wasn't there. From dust you came and from dust you'll return. What did he need? He needed eyeballs. The woman with the issue of blood, what did she need? She needed the blood to stop. Jairus' daughter, what did he need? Didn't need money. He needed her raised from the dead. <laughs> and so every miracle of Jesus was a miracle of provision. And so we need to shift our eyes off of money, 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 money. Money's a great thing. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. Look to God, and you'll be where you need to be, doing what you need to do. But the, one, the name that we're focusing on today is that he is our Jehovah Jireh. He is the existing one that he provides. And what is required is lift up your eyes. Look to him, and you'll see. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. So if you're saying today, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I got these needs. I've got these things. Go to the mount of the Lord, and it'll be seen. Get before God, and it'll be seen. Get into his presence, and it'll be seen. Get moving towards him, and it'll be seen. Because he is the God who provides. And so we had to start here with the redemptive names of God because it's woven through every story and every message that Jesus made. He is the God who provides for his kids. Are you his kids? Go ahead and stand with me on your feet today. God, we thank you that in every season... You're the God who provides. Lord, you are. And in every season, Lord, I can trust in you. Yes, we can, oh Lord. God, we thank you that you give us vision. We thank you that you give us the wisdom that is needed to see. But God, also give us the boldness that when we have seen, we can run after and do what you've asked us to do. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, maybe you're watching us this morning via online and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. Today is that day. He has provided salvation for you, not by what you have done, not by what you could accomplish, but by his son Jesus, who he gave freely for you. And so we would love to pray with you right now, and we would like to walk you into the kingdom where we can be family together forever. Right? Church, let's pray with him. Say, Father, Father I, ask for Jesus. I ask for Jesus. 
I receive him right now. And with him I receive all good things. I step into the kingdom. I call Jesus my Lord. I call you my Father. And I am your child. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you just prayed that prayer with us, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources into your hands, get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we say, welcome home. Come on and worship with us. We would love to walk this journey together with you. Guys, if you need prayer for anything this morning, our Word Care team is going to be right here up the front. They would love to believe with you, agree with you, celebrate with you, testify with you. Whatever it is that you need this day, go ahead and just avail yourself to them and have a great time. Pastor Robin, let you go this week. <laughs> All right. It's offering time. Glory. So there's several ways you can give. Envelopes in the... You can, you can sit down. Just me take a minute. It's just because he held me off for a few weeks, so I just... I, I've got stuff I need to share. So anyway, here, look at the screen here, wordchurch.ca. Wordchurch.ca. Backwards slash give, right? Or that way. To the right. <laughs> the one that leads to the right. And then the envelopes in the head needs to one that says We are going to do too far into it, so we just put it up there. Start off. As I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls. Okay, stop right there. That is your highest call. Souls and more souls. That is what the Spirit of God is saying to the church in this day. Because we're getting so close to the end time when Jesus returns, he's concerned about souls. He's not willing that should perish, but all come to repentance. And so he's he's setting up his church to be soul winners. Like Pastor Whitney, uh, that was great testimony, right? She got somebody saved on Wednesday, but she got two more on Friday. She'll come to church and share that tomorrow night at the, the women's prayer and stuff. Anyway, it's happening. It's happening. And it's all over us. It's all endless. And it's so easy to do. It's just God revealed I want to bless somebody. You can't bless anybody better than most of them. Get them saved and live the of God. Amen? Yes. Amen. So after this year, <laughs> after this year is what I like to call, well, you've heard of collateral damage, right? Where there's uh, something happens, there's an explosion, and then people get, other people get injured, whatever. That's called collateral damage. This is called collateral blessing. Because you're a participant is, as a tithe and, and giving offerings, you can believe the Lord for souls and more souls, and you're a soul winner. Now, let's look at collateral blessing. Jobs and better jobs. Raises and bonuses. Benefits, sales, and commissions. Favorable settlements. Estates and inheritance. Interest and income. Rebates and returns. Discounts and dividends. Checks in the mail. Gifts and surprises, finding monies, bills decreased, bills paid off, blessing and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. 
Amen? Amen? I mean, you know, if there could have been another way to, to, uh, to risk off the kingdom, the kingdom to go forward without finances, God wouldn't have got us involved in it at all. Right? We need them. Right? But obviously it does. And so, but the provisions can come so many different ways. It doesn't always have to be money. It can be books and supplies. Somebody bringing food. Somebody in all kinds of things. Whatever, whatever it needed, God will provide. Amen? Glory be to God. Well, we're not finished. We never finish. We just take the kingdom back out onto the streets, back to the homes, back to...